Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Well, hello, Raw Feeders. I'm Dee Dee Mercer Moffat, CEO of Raw Dog Food and Company, where your pet's health is our business and we're friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. Well, today, oh my gosh, we are so excited. Neely and I are tremendously excited because we have Dr. Ian Billinghurst here with us. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Billinghurst. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's um, a real pleasure to be here, particularly when I don't have to travel. I just have to Move from the kitchen to this room. And and you can all tell that Dr. Billinghurst is from Texas. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't know we had Texas in Australia. Right, right. <laughs> well, um, we, we are such big fans of your uh, work, Dr. Billinghurst. Actually, Neely and I have, well, we have all the books we have all the books of yours. So in 1993, Dr. Billinghurst wrote, Give Your Dog a Bone. In 1998, he wrote, Grow Puppies Pops with, with bones. bones. Okay. Then he wrote in uh, 2001, The Barf Diet. Right. And the newest one in 2016, Pointing the Bone at Cancer. So we want to talk about all of these. But, you know, Dr. Billinghurst, this was 30 years ago, 30 years years ago. And, and Neely and I both started, you know, I started in 2000. Um, and we're still amazed at how many people don't know about the raw diet today. But we want to ask you, what was it 30 years ago that started this journey for you? Well, it probably didn't start 30 years ago. It probably started um, probably when I was about six, when I first started to read. And I read books. Uh, I remember one by uh, Ballantyne, and it was about the fur trappers around Hudson Bay. And uh, I I can't remember the name of the dog, but I know it described dogs and wolves. And by the way, all I read was animal books when I was a kid, so... um, if it wasn't uh, my friend Flicker and the horse ones, it was about dogs. Anyway, this particular one really st- stayed in my mind because it described very vividly both dogs and wolves crunching through the bones and the flesh and drinking the blood of the animals that they hunted and killed. And clearly this had an impact on me. Then growing up in the suburbs of Sydney, I, I wasn't allowed to own a dog. That was pivotal because if you deprive somebody of something, that's what they want for the rest of their lives, apparently. Anyway, so my parents didn't like animals. I wasn't. But but they would take me out and I would watch farm animals and all that sort of thing. But I really loved animals from the word go. And when I was let loose at the age of 21 in the bush with a young family and with not much money but a gun, there were rabbits. Australia had a plague of rabbits at the time. And so I was out every day harvesting rabbits for the family. Then my first ever teacher came along 
Her uh, name was Candy. Candy was a Kelpie. And Candy taught me just about everything I needed to know about feeding dogs. Uh, we would feed her, obviously, bones and scraps from the butcher. We would feed her our own scraps. And one of the pivotal things that she loved to eat was the babies, the contents of the baby's nappies. Now, back then, you didn't throw nappies out. You had to empty the contents somewhere and then wash the nappies and then reuse them. That was the way life was back then. We were very good at, at doing that. And Candy, of course, would love the contents of those babies' nappies. So this was my first understanding of coprophagia and the microbiome way back when. And um, mind you, I was a graduate at this stage in agricultural science. I knew all about the nutrition for dogs and, sorry, for horses and cattle and sheep and pigs and poultry. Knew nothing about the, well, not formally, the nutrition of dogs or cats for that matter. But then I was taught these lessons out in the bush. Now, my, my little girl, Candy, she had a friend up the road. She would visit him about twice a year when those hormones took over. And she would come back and about... I think I missed this lesson during veterinary science, but whatever number of weeks it was later, she would drop some a litter of pups. And we lived out in the bush, and we lived on acres in a house that had been built by an old bushman, an old Aussie bushman. It didn't have any floors in the bathroom. Remember, we weren't we weren't exactly rich. And Candy would dig a hole in the floor of the bathroom, and she would form a whelping hole where she would have her pups. Now, this whelping hole was absolutely brilliant because when she stood up, all the pups went to the bottom of the uh, of the hole. And when she came back, she curled herself around them and there was the milk bar. But also when she was giving birth in that confined space in the round hole, her nose was rounded her tail. So she was assisting her own birth. The puppies, she could clean them up, lick them, eat the afterbirths. The puppies would drop into that little hole where where she could further tend to them. They would find the milk bar. It was a perfect scenario. When she stood up there, they were all huddled together, staying warm in the bottom of that hole with a layer of air over the top. Anyway, that was just one of the many things that Candy taught me back then, apart from feeding. Now, I had this desire to become a veterinarian. So without going into details, I did eventually come, come across that course and completed it. In final year, I was so disappointed. We were taught by a graduate in agricultural science about feeding dogs and cats. And the bottom line to that uh, course was, if you, know, if you can read the label and it says a complete and balanced diet, that's all you have to know about nutrition for dogs and cats. And, you know, it isn't all that much different today, except as long as the, F the label says AFCO on it, then that's the same thing. AFCO has approved this food uh, by very dubious methods, I might add. But anyway, that's beside <laughs> the point at the moment. Um, you should elaborate on that later because that's <laughs> one of our sticks too. <laughs> if it says that, then, you know, you can go ahead and feed it. Now, when I got into practice, what do I tell people? Because it turned out this is one of the most common questions we're asked, particularly if you've got an owner of a new cat or a dog or whatever. Uh, well, but both those two actually more than anything. I wasn't too hot on budget. Well, on, on rat medicine was an entirely different thing. Um, 
uh, I won't go into the details of how we were told to solve those problems because it was rather gross and involved the pet shop down the road and euthanasia of the sick rat. But um, and a quick purchase and then instructions to the under that the the cured rat may look a little different, seem a little different, d definitely the same rat. Mentality just changed a bit. You have to retrain it. Anyway, that was the lesson back then in rat medicine uh, in good old Aussie. But, um, of course, they, we weren't big on those animals back then. Anyway, um, so there I was in early practice. What do I say to my um, people who ask me about dog and cat? Do I tell them what I do? which is basically feed them butcher scraps and, and the, the scraps at home, or do I tell them what the, the the company line that we were taught? Well, it was somehow a mix. I gave them the, 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 op, the option of taking either route. They can go either way. So, But eventually the family decided they want to show dogs. My God, the last thing I ever wanted to do, but hey, that's what you want to do, all right, and breed them. All right, well, let's go. And I was told... What were you told at university? Because we now want to stop feeding all this stuff that we normally feed, the butcher scraps and the, the human food scraps. We are going to feed the best food possible so they look the best, they perform the best, they be the best ever. Oh, well, it's, 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 we were taught um, processed pet food. Right. Let's buy the best brands. Let's do it. So for the next two years, we fed our dogs and cats the same food that everybody else out there, well, not everybody actually, about half the population in Australia were feeding at the time. The other half were feeding scraps from the butchers and what we were doing or had been doing. For the next two years, I quietly watched as my patients went downhill. Now, I didn't notice it at first, but suddenly I was having to deal with fleas and and and, and worms. They were actually contracting things I'd never had before. Their coats looked terrible. Their breath was smelly. They had ear problems. We started to pro uh, produce breeding problems in our large dogs. Um, hip and elbow dysplasia turned up in the puppies that we were producing. I could not believe it. Now, fortunately, at that time, I was learning acupuncture. Now, if you can picture a, a young vet inexpertly giving dogs and cats Chinese needle torture, <laughs> not very well, and it actually working, I was amazed. But I was meeting all these nuts, these health nuts. They were studying Reiki and herbs and homeopathy and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, I suddenly realized when one lady, one particular lady talked to me about what she was doing, I realized that what I had been doing was far better than what I was now or had been persuaded by the family to do. So we immediately switched our dogs back to what we had been doing. Fortunately, there was a glut of, I think it was lamb on at the moment. There was a bit of a drought. So all the sheep were coming into the abattoirs. There was a lot of lamb. There was chicken about and that sort of thing. So we started feeding lamb offcuts. We started feeding chicken necks and wings and all that stuff, uh, healthy human food scraps. Within weeks, my animals were being returned to health. Now, from that point forward, I just couldn't believe it. Um, I, st I started to now talk to my clients about, hey, this is what you should be doing. And I, I produced little, little feeding programs for them, little, little sheets. Then I started to correlate very carefully the relationship between health and disease. So I'd begun my scientific quest now to discover what was going on. And within months, the penny had dropped and it came on like a light. My God, we vets are actually producing the diseases that 
are, that are coming to us. These problems don't have to be. All these things that I've spent years studying to learn how to diagnose and treat simply do not have to be. I discovered that, well, what I actually always knew, that health was normal because we always had healthy cats and dogs living out in the bush. And we had healthy cats and dogs before we started feeding them these ultra-processed pet foods. All right, so that began my journey. So uh, I remember in, it was around about, Late ninety, late eighties, early nineties, I'd written an introduction to this book, and it was about sixty or eighty pages long. And a friend of mine came in who was into uh, um, publishing. He said, uh, "He said, Ian, um, you do have to divide this up into chapters, right? Uh, and with a topic for each chapter. You can't put it all in the introduction." So fortunately, the introduction turned out to be pretty good. I could divide it up, and eventually, I produced my first book. Um, give your dog a bone. And it's gone on from there. This, The publication of that book co coincided with the sudden rise of the internet. And I remember, I can clearly picture one day, one of my nurses came into me and she said, do you ever get on the internet? No, 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 no. Have you seen these groups on the internet? She said, it's amazing. And there were these groups and they were so angry. And they were like born-again Christians. They were spreading the word from this book that they had got because I'd, I'd published it around Australia and had managed to get it. It was going overseas and they were talking about it around the, around the world. And I had to look on. I said, oh, my goodness, I don't want to be in. They were having a go at each other and telling people who were feeding kibble that this was the worst thing they could do and all this stuff. Anyway, somebody said, do you know what they're calling this? I said, no, they're calling it Bath. Really? Yes, it stands for bones and raw food. I said, oh, goodness. So there were all these groups that called themselves Bath. Anyway, I said, well, where does this come from? And it turned out that a lady in, a, in Canada, her name was Debbie Tripp, she had noticed all this, and she saw what I was seeing, that they were like um, evangelizing Christians as they tried to get people on board with this <laughs> new easy way to feed. And she said, oh, these are, these are, these are born-again raw feeders. And that was the original meaning of the word bath, born-again raw feeders. And I looked I at that. It. Then, then she tried it. And lo and behold, it worked for her. She had German shepherds, and they had a series of problems, breeding problems, uh, orthopedic problems in young dogs, all that sort of stuff. And her problems began to disappear. So it was she who named it bones and raw food. I looked at it, and I thought, hmm, is, there a, is this a great acronym? And I said, it's actually biologically appropriate raw food. And this, this was where that came from. I said, this is the scientific way of looking at it. Well, it just went from there. I was invited to America, to England first and in, by Catherine O'Driscoll, if anybody knows Catherine. Yep. Unfortunately, she passed away recently. Passed away a couple of years um, ago, yeah. She made a neuron disease. Absolutely terrible. But, yeah. but she was wonderful, gracious lady, took my wife Rosalind and I over to uh, England. We, we did four pivotal le lectures over there. Now, then the word spread to America, and a lady in America called Kathleen Chin, who was running, I think it was called Puppy Works, but she ran um, she, she ran seminars, dog dog seminars, and there was, um, oh, Ian, what's his, what's his second name? Uh, Ian Dunbar. Ian Dunbar. Oh, Ian yeah, Dunbar, yeah. APDT. He said, oh, 
they they spoke about it, said we're going to get this bloke over and he's going to talk at APDT. Um, so together they got me over there and uh, and it just went from there. We spent I think it was um, nearly two months did thirteen two and three day seminars right across America, finishing up in San Fran, then Hawaii on the way home, which was wonderful, and. Uh, the whole thing just spread from there. We were invited back to, to uh, we went to Japan, we went back to uh, the UK, we went back more, more to North America than anywhere, very many times to Japan, a few to Canada. It just grew. And what I had recommended during those those talks was that people get together and form, you know, groups where they can buy in groups and buy uh, food together. Well, the Americans being what they are said, no, 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 we're not going to buy fine group. Well, we will buy food, but we're going to buy it as companies. So all these raw pet food companies sprang up and the whole thing just grew from there. Lots of other authors realized this. They jumped on board and started writing about raw and it's grown from there. And of course, with the growth of raw, which actually works so brilliantly, has come opposition. Mm-hmm. And the opposition, of course, comes from the pet food companies. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, the pet food companies train the vets, of course, in nutrition. Mm-hmm. Now we have this whole, now we have several generations of vets who don't know anything other than being trained to to recommend processed pet food, ultra-processed pet food, and to actually not only pour scorn on, but to warn against the enormous apparent dangers of raw food. Basically, bones, bugs, and balance, which is the these that they warn against mainly, um, which are all just furfies. I mean, nothing in this world is is without its problems. But the uh, what I saw early on was that what Process Pet Food had done was it had taken our pets from a situation where they had just a few problems relating to uh, diseases of um, excess and insufficiency and so what we would see say for example was an all-meat diet fed to puppies so these would develop um, problems with their bones and they just wouldn't grow properly the simple solution was simply to feed them raw meaty bones and bang problem solved um other 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 silly problems like cats who would train their owners to feed them an all-liver diet now i observed this in, in my practice over about four years, I saw about five or six cases, and probably only four, of, of, of cats who'd managed to train their owners to feed them an all-liver diet for long enough to cause the problem of uh, excess vitamin A, which is exostoses uh, of the cervical vertebrae, the, the bones in the neck. They develop these bony growths, which actually join together. And the, the cat then starts to sit up like a kangaroo, can't move. But it's very rare. And there's other other things like pansteatitis, which is a thing where you feed, feed oil all oily fish. And it's a vitamin E deficiency. Now, there were about five or six of these very simple deficiency diseases, all of which were easy to diagnose, easy to treat, and were just simple diseases of deficiency and excess. But we have exchanged those for a vast variety of degenerative diseases, including cancer, all yep. of which are fed on sugar, basically, because the new science 
are all sugar-based. It's kibble, even even the canned food. So we are feeding biologically inappropriate food to our cats and dogs. But you have to understand, this is a wonderful... Um, it's it's a wonderful business model for our veterinarians. <laughs> yeah. Of course. They don't they actually don't know they're doing wrong. Father forgive them for they, they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing wrong because this is the way they've been trained. So they give the advice and even sell the product that produces the problem for which they have been trained to A diagnose at great expense and B treat not so effectively, but on on an ongoing basis, so for the rest of that animal's life, it's now on the medical treadmill where it has to be maintained with drugs. And what what a perfect business model. They get applauded for this. They get profits out of the processed pet food. They get profits from the diagnostics and from the treatment. Something else is happening, though, in Australia, which which bothers me greatly, and I've actually been told to just don't talk about this, but I'm going to talk about this. We're seeing young vets. Now, think of think of a kid, 12, 13, 14, 15. I am going to be a vet. I'm going to go out, learn how to treat animals and fix them. They're going to, I'm going to be the best thing for animals ever. The reality is when they get out into vets into veterinary practice, apart from the fact that in, in small animal practice it seems to mainly involve, in, in Australia at least, um, desexing animals, which is fine. I actually love surgery. I love to get out the back and do surgery. It was one of my things. Um, when I was a, um, a boy out or a young man out in the bush, that's what actually attracted me, skinning rabbits. I'd like to do this for a living. It would be great to know how to be a surgeon anyway. Um, but these young graduates, they're, they're – there they are in practice. What are they armed with to treat this horrendous variety of diseases and problems, some of which are quite obscure in their manifestations, which take a long time to develop. When they do develop, they're very hard to treat and require ongoing treatment. And it causes a lot of grief to the owners. They don't have the tools. And, you know, the simple tool is to switch diets. Switch from the poison chalice, the PC food, Switch from that to real food designed according to evolutionary principles, and they are so simple, and suddenly those problems, as I discovered so early on, just quietly dissipate because you're putting the right fuel, the right, the right energy, the right everything that's right, the right spare parts back in your dog, just like you would a car, and suddenly the animal is quietly better. No great fuss, no great fanfare. Just one day you turn around and say, oh, he moves better. Oh, her skin looks better. Oh, the, t the breath's a lot better. Good heavens, I haven't, we've done a fecal flotation and we haven't seen any worm eggs for yonks. This just happens. Why? Because it's what our cats and dogs are designed to eat. And very sadly, our vets don't understand this. And the vast majority of pet parents today have no understanding of this, only a few. But it's growing because there are some vets now. There's a raw feeding veterinary society. There's a lot going on that is happening in the pet world for this to come out. And there's people like um, Rodney Habib and Karen Becker who are standing up for this way of feeding. And 
as it happened, I was sort of kind of trying to um, go away quietly. Good luck. Watching on the internet, all these people trying to make this thing complex. And I thought, oh, dear, oh, dear, they're making what is a very simple thing exceedingly complex with spreadsheets and computers. And mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not the way I wanted to go out and say, look, where were, where were all the nutrient police when our dogs were evolving over the last millions of years? They weren't there. There was no need for any of that. Anyway, so I was dragged kicking and screaming out of not doing anything by the raw summits and a whole and a few other things, and now I seem to be thrust back into the lot into the well into somewhere. Um, and this is part of it, I guess. I, I'm talking about it again. I'm very pleased to, by the way, because I know that we can do so much more for our pets, and it's much more simple than people think it is. And and that's my mantra, nutrition, it's absurdly simple. And that's why I've actually started this. Um, we, well, I'm just at the moment uh, in the process of completing my ultimate raw pet food course, which is taking people from the beginning and then right through and showing them how simple it is to do this. And um, nearly this, this is what you've just done a sample of, uh, with the pet summit, so I'm I'm now mm -hmm. trying to extend that even further because the, there is so much more to say, but it all boils down to some very simple stuff, and that's that's where I want to leave pet because I I don't want to be the person that people have come to. I want to be the person that teaches everybody else to go out and be their own guru. That's my that's my role, and that, that so they can then spread it, but not so they become some sort of guru simply because they tell the truth and that it spreads. So it's it's um. It's the diaspora, if you like, or it's a just spread like wildfire, the simple truth about raw feeding and getting people to understand these simple truths so they can have, have healthy pets. Now, and there's a hidden agenda to all this because people would say to me, does this apply, as I've explained when I was in the surgery, explaining to people about, does this apply to me? And I said, of course it does. This is the way we too require our evolutionary food program. And so... This is a way of getting people to look after themselves. Yeah. All right. I've said we, a fair bit, haven't I? <laughs> well, I, I love what you said. And Neely and I um, see that pet parents want to make it complicated. Neely and I are always like, you know, they're like, where do I start? Is it complete and balanced? All this kind of stuff. And we, and we, and we repeat ourselves every day. Um, and we're like, look, just get started. Dump the kibble, dump the processed food and go. But they really have bought into what Big Pet Food has said. Small breed, large breed. You've got the bully mix. You've got the German Shepherd. You got this, you got that. And the vets, and I will, in all honesty, our daughter's a vet as well. Um, they have, you know, convinced everybody that the dogs have evolved. They're no longer wolves. And we're like, where does that come from? 80 years eating kibble and they've evolved. I don't think the teeth have changed. The digestive tract hasn't changed. Um, so people really seem, Dr. Billinghurst, to want to make it complicated. Well, and like he said, the bones, bugs, and balance is the vast majority of what freaks people out. And yeah, I I try to tell them the same thing you do. It's super simple. It does, it's not complicated. You don't need a spreadsheet. You don't need 
all those numbers are not um not accurate anyway i mean it, it's 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 ridiculous to freak yourself out like that just feed the dog in front of you real food and calm down <laughs> I, well, I have a i have, I, I have this question for you dr billinghurst what kind of a dog cannot eat raw <laughs> yeah we get that too oh the dead dogs I, yes. that's what we say we say but, only dead dogs exactly what kind of a car wouldn't you put the right spare parts in? Probably yeah. the one at the tip because it's it's dead. It's, you're not going to use it. It's a waste of money. But apart from that, <laughs> they ha that's what they're designed to eat. It's very simple. Um, I In my course, I, I take people through the evolutionary periods of the dog and show that the slight changes that have, cha have made when the dog evolve from the wolf the slight changes more of a scavenger more coprophagic so more of a bone eater slightly more omnivorous but basically the same patterns sit there uh, you, really you it's so simple and the place to start with most people is to start feeding the, those dogs some raw meaty bones like chicken wings and necks that's a great place to start and uh, are even if you just have them ground up yeah, people are deathly afraid of bones, uh, even in the blends, you know, and it, they're all ground up and people are just, I'm afraid my dog is going to choke. And we're like, or the bones are going to damage his track on the way out and he's going to have bloody diarrhea and all this kind of stuff. And I'm scratch like, scratch oh. the sphincter. It's going yeah. to. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, holy cow. <laughs> Or, or, well, he ate this and threw up. And I was like, well, did he eat it too fast? Did you? Are you mixing kibble? Do you have too many are, supplements? Are you putting kibble in it too? <laughs> so, so what would you say, Dr. Billinghurst, to the pet parents who are deathly afraid of giving bones like a chicken neck, a chicken foot, a duck head, wings to their dogs, even the, you know, um, Dr. Jacek, who Dr. Judy Jacek, who's on our podcast and has been for years and years, and I think you're going to be working with her on a podcast here soon. Um, she had little five pound chihuahuas, right? Yeah, yeah. E eating bones, and then I yeah. have German shepherds. So, what would you say to pet parents about bones and dogs? You know, over the years. I haven't really gone out of my way to persuade people because if they're really set against it, nothing you say is going to persuade them. The thing that persuades them is when their animal gets sick mm -hmm. and they've been to every vet mm -hmm. and every specialist. And I've had this, people literally say to me, I have just spent ten, twelve thousand dollars twenty, $12,000, even twenty, whatever on this dog. It's not getting better. Can you fix it? <laughs> and generally it's, can you fix it just with an email? I, I don't want you to charge me anything. <laughs> right? <laughs> but just give me a few words. And anyway, I, in the past I have actually done that and fixed lots of dogs for nothing um, just by giving them a few pointers. 
I remember particularly one client who, who she's a lovely lady. She assured me her dogs would never eat any raw food of any description until they became sick. And suddenly they would eat it. So it's nothing to do with the dog. It's everything to do with the owner. And yep. <laughs> what you you can't you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So I, I you'd have to say, all right, that's fine. Sadly, your dog is likely. I can't guarantee that your dog will develop degenerative disease, but more likely to develop it if you don't start feeding real food. And the basis that I discovered, because dogs are scavengers, the basis of the evolutionary diet for the dog is, in fact, bones, raw, meaty bones. And they confer so many health advantages to our dogs. The dogs, and early on, I didn't really know why. I just made an, a scientific observation and correlated bone eating with health. Was it causative? It had to be. Um, we have anecdotal reports, which are a few reports. But if we have a whole group of dogs, say a thousand dogs, all of whom showed health improvement simply by this one thing, that's called epidemiology. And we understand epidemiology now that we've had COVID. And we understand that idea of groups of a, pop a population of animals, whether those animals be human or whatever, all subjected to one common feature within the environment and all reacting in a particular way to it and that's that's epidemiology and we certainly see that with raw food so you can give all the examples in the world you can say show people these films of dogs eating bones and not and not having a problem you can do all of that but if their vet says mm -hmm. bones are dangerous mm -hmm. and quite often a vet will tell porkies porky pies Say, so, oh, I operated on three or four dogs every week just removing bones. Mm -hmm. It's such a problem. Or I see three or four or five, maybe 10 cases of gastroenteritis simply because they've eaten raw food. Mm -hmm. so they will tell this, and I know it to happen, not because they're mean or nasty or horrible, because they've been taught that this stuff is poison and this raw food is bad. And therefore, they'll say anything to stop their clients doing what they perceive as something that is bad. How sad is that? Very. We talk about it. I, I bet we talk about that issue on every single podcast that we do. Why? Because we hear it from all of our customers um, and, and certainly the ones that go away. And I've started asking, please when when I get this information, uh, one of the most recent one, they stopped feeding because their vet told them that a dog went septic eating raw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I said, well, would you mind going back to that vet and uh, giving us the study, giving us the information? Because, of course, we would love to know that, right? If if that is the case. That's the we problem. Really, we need to fix it. Right? We'll deal with it. <laughs> You're out. Yeah. And and I can't tell you how many times Neely or myself, we've asked these questions. Never, not one time have we ever gotten any kind of substantiated evidence. Right. I think they just pull it out of their sphincter and <laughs> um and and just say it like you said. And so, but 
That's but, what I say. I'm like they're just making stuff up. <laughs> and we're sadly, like, it's true. I know. And and we we uh, at least Neely has a lot of you know things behind her name and certification. Neely probably has forty certifications to her name. You know, I have one certification. I'm just the CEO of a dog food company. So what would I know? I've only been doing this 20 years, but I don't know anything. That's what they think. You know, the sad thing is our vets don't have any proper training in nutrition. Mm-mm. You know, and and here, here's here's my worry, Dr. Billinghurst, is that every single year we are graduating thousands and thousands of big pet food soldiers. Yeah. Right? So right. I there are days and Neely and I have talked about this where we're just like, are we making a dent? Are we actually <laughs> helping? So I wanted to ask you, you've been doing this for 30 years longer, you know, but do you think we're making a big difference? Or are we like that movie World War Z where all those zombies just climbed up on top of one another and got over that fence? I don't know that we're making a big difference. That's that's the sad thing. We make it's, a big difference in the in the dogs that the people that people's dogs that follow our advice. Though we make a big difference. We there. do, but when you think of, I saw I saw the statistics of the number of um, veterinarians in America. I, I can't remember what it was. It was a stupendous number. And out of those, it would be a very small number that actually recommend raw. So, as Didi just said, it's this these foot soldiers, these unpaid salesmen for the raw paradigm. They are increasing in number. It's it's like turning out robots or zombies that yes, that preach this stuff. And it's the only thing we do have is that we are there is a much greater understanding of health related to nutrition these days um so there are a lot if you get on the internet there are a lot of people who are advocates for raw i call them the raw gurus and it's wonderful that we have this the only thing that they do do is they turn people off by making it complicated yes exactly 100 exactly. so my mission now is to get out there and get as many people understanding this how uncomplicated it is. Because I say, look, a child can do this. In fact, a child can do feed a dog far better than the highest, um, or say a PhD in veterinary nutrition. In fact, the PhDs in veterinary nutrition have an enormous problem with this way of feeding. Yes. Because they mm-hmm. cannot get it. It's, it's impossible for them to understand the simplicity that if you feed what an animal evolved to eat, you're going to feed the nutrients we know about, the ones we don't know about, and the ones we don't yet understand to be important. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's a biologically complete and balanced diet as opposed to a legally complete and balanced diet, which is what NRC, AFCO, FEDF, all these people are producing. Right. Just something that legally passes so they can put on their label that it's complete and balanced, which it isn't. No way. And... This complete and balanced dog food, it's improved this year from last year. Well, how was it complete and balanced last year if you've suddenly improved it? And that's (laughs) why what I talked about 30 years ago is as valid today as it was back then. I actually know a lot more about it now 
and I know the science behind it a whole lot more. But the, let me use a, a rough word, the guts of it, the, 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 the basis of it has not changed. It's the, it's the same because our dogs haven't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. So here's, here's, what they are. here's a question for you. One way that they make it really, really complicated and they scare the pet parents is they say, our soil is totally depleted. That means the animals are totally depleted. That means I have to put in a ton of other things, synthetic vitamins and minerals to make this food, you know, valuable to my dog. What do you have to say about that? When you go home and prepare your own dinner, is that what you do? Do you worry about the soil your food was grown on and you now get out a spreadsheet and work out what was in that food and you check it out for manganese and cobalt and boron and phosphorus and magnesium and chloride and calcium? Is that what you do? No. You feed. And, and unfortunately, what you do do is you cook it to death half the time or you go out and buy something that made by McDonald's or some other fast food chain, which is absolutely not what you should be eating. Why on earth do you go to all this trouble with your dog? And and the reason you do it is because you think that that's because the pet food companies do it. But what they're taking is something completely devoid of nutrition. Then they're adding in artificial nutrients and the product they produce it's woeful. If you just feed any real food that's produced from living animals or living organisms, it is a thousand times, a hundred thousand times more nutritious. Even if it's not organic and it's not grown on, on brilliant soils, if you feed a wide variety, you are going to get, or your animal is going to get what it requires. Because homeostasis, the mechanisms which have been built up over millions of years, in fact, billions of years, our cells are just an amazing powerhouse factory that deals with nutrients presented to them as food, not not as processed pet food, but as real food. Knows how to deal with that. Pulls out even what what appears to be minutely, um, un, or would be if you analyze it according to Avkel Fedev, unbalanced. It will pull out what it requires, and use it. Store some of it. Use it. And you don't have to worry about all of that because this wonderful balancing program has been worked out over millions of years. Just feed a wide variety of the evolutionary foods in approximate evolutionary balance, home and host. And that's what my course is all about, teaching those simple truths. Um, you don't have to do all that. You don't do it for yourself. Why would you do it for your dog? You, you've, you've been scared for nothing. You've been taught a lie. They are being particularly, I'll be kind, disingenuous. Yeah. You 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 are much kinder, Dr. Billinghurst, than Neely and I are towards the vets. We we're we we're angry, right? And um Okay, okay, I'll stop you there. Um I am occasionally getting a little bit angry when I hear I say, right, you when people really tell me their vet has had a go at them, I said you need to have a go back. You're an educated person. Do you really believe that you have to do that for yourself? Would, so why do you have to do it for your pet? So I, I actually say you've got to start standing up to these people when they become so strong. If they're particularly if they're the only vet and who says they won't treat a raw-fed yeah. dog, which is just crazy. 
Oh, right? I, have, I have an employee. The thing is, you right? don't have to treat them. I, 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 my responsible mate, you don't have to treat them much because they rarely ever get a problem. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I just we we tell people don't don't tell them that you're feeding raw. My one of my well, that's, employees. That's, that's the other one. Yes. Yeah. I, the old story is you take the dog in, and the vet says, "Wow, that's the healthiest dog I ever saw." What do you feed it? Mm-hmm. Raw. You're going to kill that dog. You know this is this ridiculous response so yes maybe that the other the other side was that if you get a thinking vet and our vets are not trained to think they think they're trained to be puppets mm. following cookie cutter medicine which is just terrible um if you get a thinking vet then you can start to train them to understand how raw works it takes a bit of time though because again they're not quite as bad as the um Postgraduate PhDs in veterinary nutrition—they're almost—they're unteachable. But um, mm-hmm. your average vet, if he's a th- he or she is a thinking person and is prepared to think outside the square, which is so difficult these days, then you may have a chance. But yeah, maybe maybe for the vast majority of cookie cutter veterinarians, <clears throat> don't tell them. You know, how many years ago, Neely, was it? that we made the presentation to um, the vet clinic in, in Parker. Was that five years ago, approximately? It, it was a while. So Neely and I went in and did a presentation. We were invited to come in and do a presentation to a vet clinic. And it was it's a young girl. She still owns the clinic. So it's an independent clinic still. As you know, most of these independent clinics are being it's bought being up by bought corporate. Up. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. a tragedy. Um, but what was funny is there was another female vet there. She was so against raw. She would not come into the presentation and, and, and left the clinic. She said, because yeah, she quit. She, and that vet is still one of our customers today. She's still feeding raw. She's still, you know, putting her patients on raw. But I'll never forget that. We we had some really jeers, didn't we, Niels? I mean, their their <laughs> eyes were like burning, wanting to burn holes in us as we were doing the presentation. But this particular owner vet did decide that she was going to start feeding raw, and she did. But I'll never forget that. That vet wouldn't even listen and left the clinic. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, she totally, totally quit because of... The owner was supporting Raw. Yeah. Well, I'm pleased to say that I've had many <clears throat> a lecture over the years where I see them come and sit up the back. They're steely faced, arms crossed, ready ready to challenge me. By the end of the day, if they've sat through the whole damn thing, they've come down the front with a book and asked me to sign it. Yay. They've been converted because all I speak is common sense, and and I throw in the science that supports it, but it's common sense. You don't need the science. Um, mm-hmm. wanna... Blind Freddie can see that this is what you should be doing, but anyway. I, I do want to give everybody the information about your course, but before we do that, I want to ask you, why did you write the book, Pointing the Bone at Cancer? What what is the crux of that book? Wow, yeah, great question. 
let me go back a bit why the why is twofold the first why is watching my watching family members people that we loved being killed by orthodox medicine being poisoned to death being radiated to death why is this happening well it's very possible that we don't understand cancer at all we see cancer as a disease where chemicals radiation which we call collectively carcinogens attack the genome and in sp and specifically the nuclear genome of our cells causing mutations which allow the cell to then take on unfettered growth. I looked into this and I discovered there's a whole, there are a lot of people who are disagreeing with that. Um, Safereap was one of them, but there was, there was tripping over the truth with another one. There's a, there's a few of these books. But I had long known that my dogs that were eating raw rarely developed cancer. If they did, it was much later in life. And if they did develop it, it wasn't aggressive. It could be managed and it, and cancer was manageable. I could switch animals, say, with lymphoma or even mammary carcinomas and that sort of thing. If people didn't want surgery, like most of them did, at least initially, and we could hold it. We could treat it as a chronic disease. This wasn't happening in humans, we, we were absolutely just, we, we were killing, we would literally poison them to death. We would destroy their immune system. We would destroy everything about them. They're like, they would turn into walking skeletons and pass away after usually one to two years of absolute torture where their whole life was turned upside down. There was nothing left but being on this, what I call the medical merry-go-round. I thought, this is not right. So I started to look into it. And this one, I... I found out that in all probability, cancer starts as a resurrection of a genetic program that is already there. So it's a program we have within us. And this is the program that a, okay, let's go back to fertilization of the egg. And that egg is fertilized in any animal, human, dog, cat. It then undergoes rapid growth rate. This is the program that is cancer. And it's it's actually brought about in stem cells within tissues. No other, just the stem cells that, that, that actually undertake this. And because they program too to undergo rapid regrowth and, and multiplication when the time is right. So what is it that stimulates it? Well, it turns out it's an energy problem, a metabolic problem. And you have to understand that and this is kind of, you ask a very deep question here. Our cells, we, we multicellular animals, come from two very ancient organisms. One's a bacteria and one's this thing called an archaea. Our cells are made up of the cells of the archaea. Inside is the cells of a protozoa, of, of a, um, protozoa, the prokaryotes. It's, there's a bacteria and an archaea. The bacteria is actually a, a parasitic bacteria that invaded an archaea a long time ago. 
it became the mitochondria. Over about a, a billion years, it turned into a mitochondria and provided the power for the cell. Now, in difficult times, the cell relied upon the mitochondria to produce its energy, and it would burn everything. Burns protein, fats, and carbohydrates. When it went into reproductive mode, those cells back then, the single-celled organisms that were, would later become multicellular organs, would turn on a, a process called glycolysis, where they only burn sugar, leaving all the other things available to, to, for the growth of the cell. This is the program that is turned on. We, we see this in young embryos when they've just been fertilized. They only use glycolysis because all the proteins, fats are being used for the growth of the cell. And this was discovered by a fellow called Otto Warburg in the 1930s. And it's called the Warburg effect, and, and, but it's still largely ignored. Cancer cells grow on sugar because they're, and they're using this ancient program. And you see... The nuclear, the nucleus of the cell is highly protected, whereas the mitochondria, which was formerly a bacteria, is unprotected. And it's the mitochondria that gets damaged that causes cancer in a stem cell. It's damaged by the carcinogens. And when it's damaged, it can't produce energy by this, what's called oxidative phosphorylation, but this oxidative phosphorylation way burns uh, proteins and fats as well as sugar. That's turned off. When the cell, when that, when that stem cell has its mitochondria damaged over a long period of time, it gradually turns on this sugar burning mechanism, glycolysis. And as it does so, that's a signal to the rest of the cell to go into a reproductive mode. And now we start this process of unfettered growth. So it's damaged to our mitochondria. And it, the damage that occurs is all those things that we do today with a Western diet, principally high sugar diets, high which drive inflammation, and inflammation drives the cancer. So the, the Western diet is the principal cause of these cancers. And in our dogs, what do we feed them? We sugar. feed them sugar, which actually starts the cancer and then drives it. And we... Observe that the dog is the most cancer-prone animal in the world. That's why I wrote Pointing the Bone at Cancer. Not many people are reading it yet, but I probably need to revise it and make more of an emphasis. But um, I was studying it for 10 years. It was actually the 2nd of August. 2016, my wife said to me, finish. <laughs> Cut it off. You're going to start a tour in, in November. So you have to finish this, have it printed, published. So naturally, being a good husband, that's what I did because I had it there and, and it was all, most of it was still in my head. So this thing has a, quite a few typos, but it's, it is very readable and it's all there. It explains the situation. Um, but, yeah, so you open a can of worms or, or you open the, some difficult science when you ask me why I wrote it, but it was stemmed from the fact that I watched family members die from this and, and die horribly. Yeah. Under modern medical care, 
we can <clears throat> use that word. And I had to do something. Hence yeah, that it, it is it is crazy uh how many people I've had in my family die of cancer, my husband's sister right now, uh pancreatic cancer. They've said you only have a couple of uh, months to live. But to your point, all of these people that I know that have cancer and had cancer, their doctor has never talked to them about diet. As a matter yeah, of fact, right. As a matter of fact, I hear our uh, my, my uh, sister-in-law say, I can eat anything, anything that has lots of calories. So it's a lot of shakes. It's a lot of things. And I'm just like, they're doing chemo and they're doing this and, and, and diet is just not even discussed. Once again, our doctors have no training in this area. Yeah. That's frightening. Let food it, be thy medicine. But that's, that's a mantra that is still only a tiny portion in doctors' minds and only in some doctors' minds. Right. And very right. few. What's and, and then there's people that, sort of understand that premise that you're talking about but they don't understand that kibble is that sugar. all that starch is straight sugar they don't they don't it doesn't put together and it's like no you don't understand this is what this is you're it's you know 40 50 percent straight sugar that you're feeding this dog mm. so and then the know, the, the uh the cooked you know, foods for dogs. And, you know, in your book, you talk about the enzymes, right? The the enzymes are the things, the life force. And and when you cook those, those get cooked out. There's so many great things in your book. The one thing that, that I always remember is that you said one of the best probiotics was sheep poop. <laughs> yeah. Sheep poop. And, you know, people really worry about dogs eating poop it doesn't sound like you oh, worry too much about that do you dr billinghurst dogs eat. Yeah. oh my gosh that isn't something people freak out about i tell well, them it's... like it's at the top of dr billinghurst's pyramid Let's eat it. <laughs> i tell this story about poop it's it's a story about a stable in england and it had a fastidious groom and this groom Every time, and they, they were producing foals, every foal that came out of that stable had chronic diarrhea, which they couldn't cure, and was an absolute dummy mentally. And it all came back to a groom who was fastidious about cleaning. Every time the mare would poop, he would clean it up and get rid of it so the foals could not ever have this dirty, stinking poo that they seemed to want to eat. And, of course, it turned out that the poo, of course, had the microbiome that it required to fill its gut. And we know the microbiome is very much a part of the brain. In addition, the poo being bacteria and, and, and having all this healthy fiber in it actually both produced essential fatty acids and contained fatty acids. So there was fatty acids in the microbiome, whatever it was, they're things we could sort of pinpoint at the, at the time. and they were the things that the groom was getting rid of by being so fastidious and producing this problem. We need dirt in our lives, both <laughs> for our immune system, for our microbiome. It's part of what we grew up or, or we evolved having. 
And it's part of the evolutionary diet that we don't sterilize the food because what that does, even, even things like Compilobacter, E. coli, Listeria, all of those things, they are there So because the immune system is not there to destroy or to fight. It has to occasionally. It's there to help us live in harmony with our environment. And our environment includes pathogens. And it's important that those pathogens actually be around so that they can be recognized. And if they're around constantly, it's like a constant vaccination. Just or even just occasionally. So, oh, I know you. Yes, you stay down there just in that corner. And I've got all these other microbes that are going to put out little bits of this and little bits of that. Going to keep you in place. If they should suddenly rise up, then the immune system then has to get more aggressive and produce antibodies and all sorts of things and, and inflammation to deal with them. But overall, the immune system is there just to live in harmony, to recognize potential pathogens and to keep them in place, mostly by the presence of other microorganisms. It's simple. And this is what you're trying to teach people. Yes. To keep it simple. So tell us about if someone wants to join your course and stop trying to make life difficult for themselves and their dogs, how do they do it? All right. I'm now teamed up um, with an American company called Gussie's Gus, which is all about the microbiome producing so if they can go to Gussie's gut and register there, don't come to me. I am the most hopeless person when it <laughs> comes to computers, the internet, Facebook. I don't do social media. I don't know how to. I You're not missing to. much. You're keeping it simple, <laughs> Dr. B. You're keeping it yeah. simple. Yeah, absolutely. If I don't, actually, I haven't, I just notice, I notice what people are doing. Walk away, say, oh, I don't want to be part of that. <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> and this is not my understanding what you're talking about. And and lately I've been asked to begin teach talking about my understanding. So I'm so pleased to do that because I realize it's, it's necessary and needed again. It's what actually started the whole thing. Because if if can you imagine if I had said, right, I want you to feed raw, but you're gonna need a computer, and you're going to need spreadsheets, and you're going to need every meal to be complete and balanced, and you've got to make sure that you feed only this amount of food and blah, blah, blah. Would this have ever taken off? Nah. It took off because it was simple. Two things. it's It was simple and it worked. Mm -hmm. Nothing has changed except people's perception of it. And the perception today is... We have to follow the commercial paradigm where, where we have to make it difficult and complex. Difficult. And I will say that the pets that are having, at least the ones that we see, uh, difficulty are because their parents are making it difficult. They're yeah, trying... they're adding all kinds of extra uh, non <laughs> yeah. Doing well, doing tests and saying, well, they need more. There was a thing that was going around for a while, iodine. They were like, the dogs need more iodine. And we, Neely and I are like, we know when there's a narrative in the marketplace because we start getting a lot of those questions. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I have a son-in-law. He's a highly credentialed pediatrician. He's a an expert. He's an endocrinologist. Endocrine, endo, let me say that right. He's an endocrinological pediatrician. Ooh. He works with hormones with kids. 
Okay. He said to my wife and I, because we're not young anymore, he said, don't get medical tests. He said, they are always going to find something. And when they find something, they will pursue it down a rabbit hole and you will just get, and they will make you sick. Mm. Neely says that all the time. Highly credentialed doctor. (laughs) That's why I say to my mom, who's 80, I say, mom, why are you going in for a yearly checkup? Don't you know if you're okay? You know, if you're okay and you feel okay, don't don't go because they're going to just find something, right? That's true. And keep and you coming back. Make it worth your money. You. Yeah, they're going to stress you out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, it, it, it's it it is um it is depressing and and hopeful at the same time that, like you said. When dogs are sick or when people are sick and there's no other hope, they start looking outside of that box of that paradigm that they have been in. And then maybe we can do something different. Um, You know, people don't change until they're uncomfortable. Right. And we, we do see a lot of pet parents who have had dogs that have died of cancer who are now in this movement. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. and I wouldn't say movement. I would say lifestyle. It's a it it is a yes. lifestyle. It's it very much so. Yeah, We're talking about lifestyle. Yep. Yeah. All right, so people can go over to Gussie's Gut, and uh, and and yep. and the name of the course is what, Doctor Billinghurst? Is that behind me there? Ultimate Raw Pet Food Course. Well, it can't get any more simple than that. <laughs> <laughs> and and then when I get them in there, I said, but we're not going to talk about pet food. We're going to talk about a um, an evolutionary food program. We're not we're not going to talk about pet food. We're not going to net this. We will talk about nutrition, but basically, this is a food program that you're going to learn about. But I do spend a lot of time explaining why and taking them back through the evolution of the dogs and all that stuff. I will spend I spend time debunking AFCO. Thank so goodness. Good. Yes. I, I try to do that too. But... I, I get that question at least once a day. Is your food AAFCO approved? And I say, no, for good reason. Go, go look at my yeah, facts. I, I say, <laughs> if it says AFCO approved, young, run yelling and screaming the other direction. That's right. It, that's the shot. That's right. <laughs> or the, or the complete and balanced. And, complete and, and, balance, and, you know, yeah. we, we say, is your food complete and balanced? Do you eat a, Complete and balanced, right. you know, or the poo. Is your poo the same every day? All the things that you've said. And so yeah. a lot of times we have to take it back to the human, right? Yeah. And uh, well, I, I have to say, we could talk to you all day. Um, the 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 accent, the cadence, the knowledge, the kindness, the heartfelt information. I mean, I just, I love it. You know, it, it's amazing. But one way that we can stay in touch with you is to read your books. And you guys, listen, Dr. Ian Billinghurst has four different books out there. Niels, where's your books? So you've got, you guys, Give Your Dog a Bone, The Barf Diet, Pointy the Bone at Cancer, and Grow Your Pups with Bones. And I will tell you, they're not difficult to read. They're brilliant. They're fabulous. They're funny. They're entertaining. Um I've got so many different, you know, we yeah, talk about, we talk about you on our podcast all the time. Your name comes up a lot. 
So we quote you a lot. I hope you don't mind. Um, but we always show your books. But anyway, you guys can get those out there. Are they on Amazon, Dr. Billinghurst? Where's I the believe they are. Um, we um, direct book service puts PDFs. I think that well, I think they sell them through Amazon, mainly PDFs and eBooks. But um, but direct book service in America sells them. Of course, I sell them off the website. At your website. Yep. Okay, yeah. and your website. Buy them from him. Don't buy them from Amazon. Right, and uh, Doctor, it, it super simple website, drianbillinghurst.com. That, that's it. That's it. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's the name. You're all about simplicity, which I like. Well, I'm very lazy, so if things are simple, they suit a lazy person. I, I, I don't think you're lazy with all of the uh, traveling you do, all the lectures, the books. Uh, if that's lazy, then I want to be that. So, well, thank you so much again for uh, spending time with us today. We hope that you will come back. And uh, I know that you're in great demand again. And uh, this is this is wonderful. So thank you very much. You guys, listen, get over to DrIanBillinghurst.com. Get your books. Read all about, um, you know, why Dr. Billinghurst started this. It's a super simple method to heal your pets. You've heard it from one of the, we, we call you the father, right? Don't we? Yeah. We, yeah. we call Dr. Ian Billinghurst the father of raw feed. The pet's grandfather. Pete's <laughs> <Pete's> grandfather, <laughs> right? Or great grandfather. It is the yeah, father. It is worse. <laughs> it is worse. No, we call you the father of it because uh, you really did start it. You started it all. Please tell your friends about the raw dog food truth because here at Raw Dog Food and Company, your pet's health is our business and friends. Don't let friends feed kibble. We'll see you ever. soon, everybody. That's right. Ever. Bye, Dr. Ever. Billinghurst. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Oh, snap. Find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity. Go to rawdogfoodandcompany.com, where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business. Just snap.